probably seven or eight years ago, I decided that I wanted to read the books. You you go into Barnes & Noble or other, you know, bookstores, places that have that kind of stuff. There's posters on the wall of the classic literature, you know, Lord of the Rings, Moby Dick, Iliad and the Odyssey, who knows all kinds of things. As usual, it's almost one in the morning right now, so I'm not thinking of all the classic literature that's out there. Brothers Karamazov, fine. Lots of things like that. I thought, you know what? I want to read those things. So, as they've been... As I've seen them for you know for sale or available, whatever, I've bought various ones of them. The Iliad and the Odyssey happens to be one of them. I began reading it a few years ago. Got I don't know 200 pages into it, and you know didn't keep going much further with it. I got made fun of by uh, Missy by Missy. If she's listening to this, you know what I'm talking about. She was giving me crap for reading it one day. Like, oh, you're one of those people. Yes, yes, Missy, I am one of those people. But, for whatever reason, honestly, I'm not sure at all. A few weeks ago, again, before all this uh, COVID-19 stuff began, I thought, you know what? I'll read it. I want to read it. I was motivated. I'm going to do it. It's an interesting book. Um, interesting in the way... It's just different from anything else. It's not particularly uh, complicated literature. It's not like reading Dostoevsky or not something uh, really convoluted. It's actually kind of straightforward, easy to read. Uh, the Iliad it's, the Iliad has lots of very long metaphors and analogies. You know, it'll be, oh, you know, uh, Achilles did this thing, and he did it like a lion who goes to capture lambs when the shepherd is away, and the shepherd's had a long nap, and he's really tired, but then he wakes up when, it, when, when, the, when the lion comes, and etc., etc., there's these big, like, literal whole-page-long analogies to explain how somebody does a thing. You know, we're used to, he did, he did the thing like this. Next line. But apparently, Greek has a very different style, because an analogy takes an entire page. Now, it's different because the Iliad, or probably all of the Greek stuff, was written as a long form poem, not a narrative. And the one that I'm reading is being converted into a narrative. So it's different. So there's maybe some, not translation issues, but some things that, that make more sense in a poem structure than that makes sense in a prose structure. So maybe it seems a bit obnoxiously long in the metaphors and prose, but in poetry, it makes sense. Not sure. Anyways, fascinating, but it's not like reading Lord of the Rings is my point. It's not the, flowing but maybe complicated narrative with lots of working parts and crossing over storylines like uh, Tolkien might write. It's pretty straightforward, pretty uh, readable, uh, beautiful in its way, um, but also not as straightforward as we're used to. In Western literature, we're used to a a very consistent timekeeping and description. Uh, Greek literature, sorry, this limited bit of Greek literature that I know now uh, doesn't do that at all. You read the whole, um, well, I've, I've finished the Iliad, I'm in the middle of the Odyssey, and um, the timekeeping structure of the story isn't there. You get a very, very vague idea of how long things last or have been going on, but it's not at all explicit. It's not like, oh, this took a month, oh, this took a week, this took a day. It just says these things happened, and occasionally the seasons change, 
Hold on. When the hell did it become fall? I thought it was spring like three paragraphs ago. Oh, you've been at this the entire time. Oh, that's different. So it's it's a totally different kind of reading uh, than the normal Western, very narratively structured literature that, that at least that I'm used to. But one thing that has stuck stood out to me, well, two things, really. Um, one of them is generically relevant. One of them is relative, relevant to these days, especially. The generically relevant thing is that uh, they often are breaking bread together and pouring out wine, and there's uh, sometimes chalices given for sacrifices to the gods. And though, of course, very many things are different than the Catholic practice of the Mass, there is also a lot very similar happening. And it makes one realize uh, how much Christ connected to a base, not bases in like sinful and bad, but a bases in sort of natural and foundational, a base human experience when he made the most important sacrament, the foundation of the church, be breaking of bread and wine involving a chalice at a table. Because so often in these stories, they are either passing around the chalice or the bowl of wine or giving chalices to each other, say, hey, you know, take this and offer your sacrifice to the gods in this beautiful chalice that I've given you. So then when we at Mass have a beautiful chalice and we offer the sacrifice of Christ, his body and blood, soul, and divinity, offer it to God, to God the Father, it makes you realize, oh wow, this didn't just come out of nowhere. Jesus and even the Jews were participating in a larger picture of the human experience of pouring out pouring out wine and sacrificing bread, consuming bread in honor of God. Now, I want to be very clear and very specific that I'm not at all equating uh, the Greek and the later Roman God system with Holy Trinity, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Very, very many differences. Uh, it is not that God the Father is just Zeus. Not at all. Do not hear me as that. But... It is, I guess you'd call it anthropologically fascinating that this idea of pouring out wine, sacrificing wine, drinking wine, and breaking bread together is something that is transcultural, transgenerational, covers the centuries as a very natural human religious action to do. So that's one thing. The other thing is something we can't do right now. In these stories, in the Odyssey specific, specifically that I've been reading, anytime somebody shows up, they are welcomed into the house in the middle of the feast, they're given a plate of food, they are um, passed around the bowl of wine for everyone to share and pour out to the gods, and no questions are asked until, they've, until after they've finished the meal, which to us, honestly to us sort of American Westerners, uh, is kind of weird, and then especially in the times of uh, quarantine and infection, is especially strange that someone would, you know, show up to your party. You know, suppose you're having like a a big party out on the lawn, which the Greeks didn't have. If you're if you're in battle, you just set up your tents on the beach or something like that. But you know, suppose someone just shows up. You don't know who it is to your, you know, house party, or your you know wedding reception. 
And you say, hey, come on in. In fact, come have the seat at the head table and have the choices, the choices foods and you know, bring him all the nice stuff. Uh, and then once you've eaten everything, then we'll ask who you are. Wait, what? You would expect someone to ask you know, at the front door, hey, uh, so are you supposed to be here or not? And if you're not, maybe kind of go away. Uh, but almost always in these stories, the guests, you know, they're usually like a shipwrecked somebody who stumbles across. You know, it's like the main character who's gotten shipwrecked and he's coming to, he gets washed up somewhere and he goes to, he finds the local people. And instead of saying, hey, who are you? What are you doing here? They bring him in, uh, give him choice meats and feed him well and, you know, even maybe let him take a bath and change into new clothes. And they say, hey, who are you? What's going on? Tell us about yourself. Which is the total opposite order from what we're used to, from what we tend to do. Now, there's a whole different cultural thing there. And I guess I'm, I am not saying that we should adopt that uh, blank check and go to that sort of style and just, you know, accost people and say, hey, come into my house and do stuff. No, it's not quite that. Um, but it does point out a very different mentality. We could probably recover a little bit of that. And I guess what I want to point to is not the specific practicalities of, you know, you someone shows up at your door and you, you almost forcibly haul them inside and set food in front of them. <clears throat> Though in some cultures it is sort of like that. No, I've already, I'm not hungry at all. Here's four plates of food. Oh, thank you. Um, <clears throat> don't get me wrong, very grateful. Um, but there is a sense of giving people the best that it's made me think of a lot. That um, instead of doing, instead of asking, you know, okay, how much do I have to do to get you to, go, to, to leave me alone? You know, what's what do I do that's like the, okay, fine. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm obliged to do something to help you, um, to offer you a little bit. What should I do? Instead, it's the mentality of let me do as much as I can and show you the best hospitality and then we'll worry about you know later if you're someone unscrupulous, you know, maybe you are come take advantage of me. But you know what? I'm going to give you the best I can do from the very beginning and see how it works out from there. And of course, in these stories, most of the time, the the person who's being welcomed uh, unquestioningly is the hero, and they deserve the welcome that they receive, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the one gets the impression that it's written that. In that society, in Greek society, being hospitable and giving people, um, you know, food and clothing and taking care of them is just what's expected. It's just what you do, no matter who they are. And then later, if it turns out you, sh- you know, they're not really worthy of keeping them around, okay, fine, you kick them out, and that's fine. Um, but it's just a whole different mentality. Um, and again, not not saying we should adopt that wholeheartedly because it's it's fictional literature, right? It's not that the Greeks were just like that all the time. But what people write about tells you what their ideals are. And so, in this time of quarantine, we can't do that literally. Uh, but there is an idea of radical hospitality in general, where we are we think first of how do we do well for the other person? How do we take the best care of them that we can within our means, within our possibilities? And then later, let things sort out. So, not that Greek literature is gospel by any means whatsoever. Um, though there are some interesting parallels, even perhaps some lessons to learn, for what uh, virtues can be, what ideals can be in a society. 
and um, you know, I think we could all do for more of uh, feasting and rejoicing, especially in these difficult times. And feasting and rejoicing, feasting and rejoicing, uh, if done well, is always better with friends and family, with those gathered around. So even if we can't right now, let's remember the future. Let's hope for the future when we can joyfully, happily, uh, easily, and without fear. Uh, welcome people into our homes, into our lives, and uh, rest, relax, and even feast with them.